to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I've enjoyed this series on the Bible, and hopefully more importantly than you just getting knowledge about the Bible, our heart's desire, and I mean this, our heart's desire is that you have been motivated more than ever to get into the Word of God and not just read it, but to study it and to know it, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Why do we need it? That the man of God or the woman of God, that's, that's y'all, may be complete. How many of y'all don't want to be three-quarters Christian? I don't. How many of y'all want to be seven-eighths of a Christian? Not me. I want to be eight-eighths, right? You want to be complete. That's the power of the word. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you. You can be seated. Thanks for reverence in the word. In this day and time, I think we still need to do some of those things. Look, we've been talking about the Bible. I just, I want to talk about it today. And here's what I want to do. When we were establishing this series, there were three things that, that we looked at. We realized that there is a literacy issue or problem with the Bible. People don't know the Bible, and they don't know the Bible because they don't read the Bible. Second, we realized there was a comprehension struggle. That's because people are reading the Bible, but they don't understand the Bible. Thus, while we're encouraging you to not only get a Spirit-filled Life Bible for free here, but to go get one and dig deeper into the Word. Today, we're going to talk about how there's a trust issue. People say, okay, Pastor, I've got a Bible. I'm reading the Bible. You're helping me to go deeper, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to use hermeneutics. I got my little bookmark from last week, so now I'm asking the right questions. But can I trust this book? I see things. I hear things. I read things on the Internet that make me wonder, is this book reliable? That's what we're going to settle today. It, we're going to settle the issue that the, the Bible is reliable. Why is this important? Because the Bible is the greatest book in the world. Uh, it is one book containing many books, but from the beginning to the end, it is God's word. The Old Testament consists of 39 books, beginning with Genesis, ending in Malachi. The New Testament is comprised of 27 books, beginning with the Gospel of Matthew and ending with the book of Revelation. By the way, you want a little trivia? You want to know how many books are in the Old Testament and the New Testament, how many books combined there are? There's a little secret. You just got to remember 39. Everybody say 39. 39. If you can remember 39, you can always remember how many books are in each testament because there are 39 books in the Old Testament. Three times nine is 27. There are 27 books in the New Testament. So 39 plus 27 is 66. There you go. That was for free. The formation of the Bible spanned 1,500 years and it was written by some 40 authors. The Bible has exerted more influence on mankind than any other book and it is still the most influential book on this earth. It has had significant influence on literature, art, music, uh, the laws of, and the formation of the laws of most of the nations of the world. It has been a force to free people from slavery. Slavery has brought recognition to minorities and to women. It has improved life for poor people, for needy people. There is power in the word of God. Now, like I said, we're gonna talk about the reliability of the word. There is a mystery to the Bible. And I'm gonna show you what it is. And here's the mystery. It was written by men, but it's the word of God. 
and really the mystery is very close to the incarnation. So Jesus comes to this earth and he is God, right? He's 100% God. And yet he becomes a man. We like to say he robed with flesh. The incar- excuse me, the incarnation was never the subtraction of deity. It was the addition of humanity. Think about that. So he was always 100% God. He just added humanity. So you saw him as a man, but he was the God man. The Bible is very similar. Every word in it is the word of God. And yet it's the words were written by men and spoken by men. So it's the combination of the human and the divine. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul said all scripture is given by um, inspiration of God. That's what we just read this morning. And that word, that phrase, inspiration of God, is theonoustos in the Greek, and it literally means God breathed. God breathed. So all scripture is, everybody say that, all scripture is God breathed. Now what does that mean? There's a couple thoughts here. One, in the Old Testament, anytime God would breathe, things would happen. The Holy Spirit would get active. Things would come alive. Go back to Genesis chapter one, chapter two. God creates Adam from the dust of the earth, right? But when he creates him, he's a corpse. He's laying there lifeless. But the Bible says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So God did the first CPR on Adam and he gave him breath. And when he breathed into him, Adam went. And for the first time, his lungs filled with air and his heart started pumping and the blood started flowing because the breath of God gave him life. There's a story in Ezekiel of a valley of dry bones. It's a vision that Ezekiel has and God says prophesy. He begins to preach and the bones come together and then sinew and flesh and tissue all come together and it becomes this mighty army except they're all dead. And so then he says prophesy to the wind. And by the way, in the Bible, the Old Testament, wind is ruah in the Hebrew. And ruah can be wind or spirit. And so prophesied to the spirit. And so he prophesied and the spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God, it all means the same thing, came into those, to those, those soldiers in, in, that are in a vision. Now it's a vision. And they all started breathing and stood up a mighty army. So you have to understand, this Bible is not just any other book. This is the book of God. This is the creative work of God, of the Holy Spirit. But there's something else. Have you ever noticed that when you try to talk, you have to breathe? Here's what you do. You take a breath, and then you start talking. And what you're doing is you're pushing out air, okay, from your, from your lungs. You're pushing out air over your vocal cords. Your tongue is getting involved. Your lips are getting involved. Your teeth are actually getting involved, okay? Because if you really get mad, then you grit your teeth while you're talking, and it just makes you sound mean. See what I'm saying? You can use your teeth. You can use your lips. Use your, all right? And you push the air out, and you... Like you've ever seen somebody, they talk so long that you said, man, they didn't even come up time to breathe. They never even breathe. You see, that's what I'm talking about. You have to breathe to speak. Listen to me. That's what I want you to know. This Bible that we have, whether it's electronic or, 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 or literal, physical in your hand, listen to me. It's God breathing and speak. God spoke it. Like it's the words of God. Not, it may be written by man, but it is what God has spoken. Listen to me. When God speaks, things happen. Go back to Genesis again. God's creating everything. He said what? Let there be blank. Poof, there it was. 
let there be blank, poof, there it was. When God speaks, okay, things happen. Things come, and let me tell you, when God's word gets, speaks to you and in your life, things will happen. You don't believe me? Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And when you hear the gospel and believe, it has the power to change you from a sinner to a saint. Now that's pretty powerful. So the word of God is incredible. I want to show you a scripture on the screen, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. That word means origin. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit guided the writers, not only in their ideas, but also in the revelation of their words. He gave them what he wanted exactly, and then he, they wrote it down. Now, what does that mean? It means the Bible is infallible. It is completely reliable, and it does not mislead people. It states the exact truth that the Holy Spirit intended to convey. Now, I'm going to teach you something this morning that some of you may not know. So I'm going to seem kind of professorial this morning, but I want to be a preacher. When Paul wrote Ephesians, or Isaiah wrote his prophecy, or John wrote Revelation, they wrote that on a parchment. It's called an autograph, a manuscript. And it stood whatever test of time it could as a parchment, but like any piece of paper that's being used and passed around and read, it wore. And with use and age, it eventually became beyond usefulness and repair. And, and we don't have the original autograph of the revelation of John or the gospel of Luke. You understand that, right? So they're all gone. I mean, at 2,000, 4,000 years, I mean, you can ex expect that. There were no printing presses. So watch this. So as, as Paul's letter to the Ephesians began to wear with use, somebody said, we need to copy it. And so a, a person with, with a quill and ink and a parchment sat down and copied by hand the letter to Ephesians. So now we have a copy of the autograph. And this happened with all the, of the books. Well, through that generation, maybe the next generation, that, that one was passed around and then it got worn out. So they had to make another copy. And this time they said, maybe we better make two or three copies so that we can pass them to all the churches. And so what we have today are copies of copies of copies of copies, okay? So when I say the Bible is uh, infallible, you know, I'm talking about the original manuscripts, that what God gave those people originally, everywhere, it was exactly right. It was there, okay? It, it's totally reliable what God gave them. All right, you say, now, wait a minute, because you may be thinking, all right, now, wait a minute. Now, you get humans involved, copying by hand letters through, let's say, the New Testament, 2,000 years, you know, it wasn't 2,000 because the printing press came along, whatever, 40, 1,500. So, you know, all those hundreds of years, pastor, it sounds to me like somebody could make a mess. Somebody could make a mistake. Somebody could, well, it happened. Let's go ahead and admit it. It happened. It did. Might as well say it. But hold on and wait till you hear it. You might get excited. 98% of the manuscript evidence that we have all matches up with each other. The 2%, you could fit it on one Greek page, one Greek text page, the variations of the 2%. None of it has anything to do with doctrine or the faith or truth or anything. It's little things like 
some guy was copying his copy and he must have been late at night, he was sleepy, and instead of writing 700, he added a zero and made 7,000 or vice versa. Those are the little things. We say, how do we know whether it's right or not? Because we got 12 other copies where everybody copied it correctly at 700. So which one are you gonna pick? 700. We have the manuscript evidence with all the copies that we have that we're able to compare them all. All of them read the same way. Do you know how unbelievable that is? Because there was no conspiracy and all these people didn't know each other and get on their mobile phones in 300 AD and say, hey, what are you writing here? You wanna make sure, let's make sure we're writing the same thing. Each of those, even the people copying the Bible, God had his hand on them to make sure that they wrote down exactly what he gave those original authors. Now that ought to let you know this morning, you can trust the word of God today. And by the way, so that you understand this, because they're not gonna teach you this in school, which is really sad, the documents, the, the copy, see, we don't, like, you say, well, all right, like an ancient work of antiquity. Let's take Shakespeare or Homer's, Homer's Iliad, all right? Do you think we have the original manuscripts there either? No. That got destroyed years ago. So there's copies of copies of copies. Of, they, they struggle. They have struggled to get all the different copies to try to put together what Shakespeare wrote. You know that, right? If you don't, they're probably not teaching you that. And yet, and Homer's Iliad, same way. These are works of antiquity that we require our children to read in school, and yet the, there is nobody that comes even in a close second. The, the manuscript evidence for the books of the Bible far outweighs anything that we have for any other work of antiquity, but we will not let our kids read it in our schools. What's wrong with that picture? It is the greatest work of antiquity with the greatest amount of evidence for its legitimacy and validity, and yet, because of religious reasons, we are not letting our children read the greatest literary work with the most manuscript evidence, copies, 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 of any other work of antiquity. But we'll trust Shakespeare and Homer, but we'll question the Bible. Who has the hand of God behind it? I'm here to tell you today, over and over again, you can trust the word of God. By the way, the word of God, what does that mean? What is a word? It's the vehicle by means of which the thought is communicated from one mind to another. So if I have a thought in my mind and I want to put it in your mind, I talk. Word conveys my thoughts. God has spoken to us to convey the thoughts of his heart. It's just not a, a manual for do's and don'ts in life, though it is that. It's more. When you crack open your Bible... We're getting the very thoughts of God. We're getting the very heart of God. What his will is, what he wants us to do, what he doesn't want us to do, who he is, what he's like. And that's why it's so important that you read it. I'm gonna throw some words at you to try to help you understand today. I'm gonna give you the word revelation. Revelation is the communication of divine information to the writer. In other words, the root word is reveal. So when God revealed his word to the prophets and they wrote it down, they were getting divine revelation. Inspiration is another word. Now, inspiration is not like the way we use it where a poet is inspired to write a beautiful poem or an author is inspired to write a novel. This is divine inspiration. And inspiration is God's way of protecting and securing the revelation that he gives to man. 
Because it is inspired and because that person is under the movement and, the, and, and, and I'm not gonna use the word control because that sounds too much like you're a robot. It's not. But under the sway and the indirect, direct influence of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, then because of that, they were kept from writing anything that they weren't supposed to write and they wrote exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted to convey so there's nothing in it misleading. Nothing at all. It was exactly what God, so you have revelation, inspiration, and then that leads to infallibility, which means it's totally reliable. You can trust the word of God. It is reliable. There are three qualities of scripture that I want you to be aware of. Why this is so important. Pastor, why are you taking time to do this? Seems a lot like we're in a college classroom. It's okay, but it's important. It's the word of God. There are three qualities of scripture that, that, that just make the difference. One is the truth quality, okay? What we stand and do each Sunday, we preachers of the Christian faith, is we stand up here and declare to you that the word of God is truth because God cannot lie. God is not a man that he should lie. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And he, he doesn't just speak truth. He's the personification of truth. He is the logos, the word. The word became flesh. So he's not just the words of God or speaks the words of God. He is the word of God. Okay, so the truth factor. Why is this so important? Because in the day we live in, there are so many people that are spitting out what they call truth, especially when it comes to morality. And in our present environment and culture, the prevailing winds consist of moral relativism. Moral relativism basically says that you believe what you want to believe and I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe and what I believe is right and what you believe is right and we'll respect each other. So if you think something is wrong but I think it's okay to do it, you don't do it but I'm going to do it. Now if I think something's wrong, I'm not going to do it but if you think it's okay, hey, that's your truth, that's your moral truth and we'll love and respect each other. That sounds good in theory but if I decide to shoot you because I think it's all right, we got a problem. Right? And you cannot have two equal truths that are differing. Two plus two is either four or it's not. Okay? New math ain't gonna work here. So you can say, well, I believe two plus two is five. You can believe it all day long, but it's not true. You have a lot of people saying, but this is truth. This is what's right, but it's not right. Because we're making it up from our own standard out of our own experiences or our college education or some professor told us, but that is not a reliable source because that source is, is fallible. That source is not reliable. That source may be immoral. How do you want an immoral sinner trying to tell you what's right and wrong? You have to go to one source who is sinless and perfect and his name is God. And by the way, he doesn't arbitrarily, I already told you this, he doesn't arbitrarily say, oh, this is right, and I think this is gonna be wrong, and this is gonna be good, and if you do that, you're going to hell. No, everything that he tells us about right and wrong flows out of who he is. Murder is wrong because God is life. And he creates life, and life is precious. Lying is wrong because God is truth. So when you lie to get out of something, it's an affront against God. But pastor, my boss caught me in something I forgot to do and I just lied to get out of getting in trouble. doesn't matter. God said, that hurts me. Woo, sin just took on a whole new meaning to you, didn't it? 
You mean God got you? Oh, yeah, God, that, God took that personally because you lied and he's truth. So there's a truth quality. The second is the wisdom quality. The world has wisdom, but their wisdom is warped and perverted and it's based on the lies of Satan. But the Bible gives us wisdom, not just spiritual wisdom, but just daily wisdom in every area of our life. And if we're gonna trust it in every area of our life, you know, I see people say, yeah, okay, I read the Bible and I believe God, but I'm not gonna trust what the Bible says about giving. I'm not tithing. All right, I believe God, but I'm not gonna trust what the Bible says about raising kids. I'm not gonna spank my kids. I'm just not gonna spank my kids. I just, my daddy spanked me and I'm just not gonna spank my kids. Well, you're gonna raise a hellion probably a juvenile delinquent, and you're going to live in pain your whole life. Would you rather hurt or their little tush hurt? A little momentary hurt on their tush will keep you from a lifetime of pain. Fall, you know, the proverb says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to shout right now. Right? Don't beat them, just whoop them. You beat them, I'm going to call DSS on you, but whoop them. I told you, I was preaching on whooping one time. My friend from Pennsylvania, he listened to my, the, the podcast of the sermon. He texted me. He said, hey, just want you to know we whoop them up north too. I said, good, good, whoop them. So you got the truth quality, the wisdom quality, then there's the authoritative quality. Is this, does this book have the right to speak into my life over me? to be a covering over me and tell me what to do and what to not do. And in our society, we ain't nobody gonna tell me what to do. Oh yeah, let me just talk to your wife and we'll get that straightened out real quick. Everybody has an authority over them, everybody, everybody. You say, Pastor, you're the pastor of this church, you're in charge, you got all these people working for you. Yes, I do, his name's Bruce Rabin. He is the state overseer of the churches of God in South Carolina, that's my authority. Everybody has authority over them, and you need authority. So is God's word the authority on your life, and is it a greater authority? Is it the number one authority so that if any other so-called authority tries to tell you how to live your life, including the government, you say, look, I appreciate you. The Bible says to appreciate you. I pray for you. But in this one area, you're not going to tell me how to live because the Bible already tells me how to live. So don't tell me that abortion is right because the Bible already told me abortion is wrong. And don't tell me that I have to accept same-sex marriage because there ain't but one kind of marriage. That's between a man and a woman. God did that a long, long time ago. And don't try to tell me any different. You're the authority over my life, God, not, not society. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor, you seem so bold. Well, get full of the Holy Ghost, you'll get that way. But it's more than that is heaven and earth will pass away. But I'm part of an unshakable kingdom, and so I'm going to serve the king now because when I get into his kingdom in the future and the United States government no longer exists, I, I don't want to be part of what they're doing here. I want to be part of what Jesus is doing. Yes. Yes. I, I've already got my authority, right? He's the king of all kings and the lord of all lords and the president of all presidents and the governor of all governors. I'm preaching this morning. I feel this right now. Okay, so that's why, if you, that's why this whole thing about can I trust the Bible is important because it's got to be the source of your truth, the source of your wisdom, and it's got to be the authority in your life. Y'all with me so far? Okay, if not, take a nap. So what I want to do this morning is, uh, uh, oh, let me just say this too. Scripture is inerrant. It does not contain errors. 
You say, well, pastor, you just said, you know, there's things in the Bible. I'm not talking about copies, human error of copying something. I'm talking about error in that it contains something written by man that wasn't said by God. You can trust it. There are gonna be descriptive, and they're very minor, description, description errors. But anything that is prescriptive in the Bible, you can count on it. I'm gonna give you a little formula and see if this helps you, okay? Here we go. Number one, scripture is God's word. All right, number two, God's word is truth. Number three, therefore, scripture is truth. Did you get that? All right, let me give you another one. It's a little logical thought. Number one, what scripture says, God says. All right, that's our presupposition. Number two, God cannot err in what he says. So number three, therefore, scripture cannot err in what it says. So just to give you some thoughts there. All right, so how did we get our Bible? I'm gonna take you through a little history here and you're gonna learn some things maybe you've never learned before. After the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, people started writing about Christianity and Jesus. They, the, the Christian, so-called Christian writings flourished. And Luke, in Luke chapter one, verse one says, many have undertaken to write the story of Jesus' life. I'm giving you the paraphrase. And so Luke says, I'm gonna do it, all right? So Luke writes it. And you had some gospels and stories that were written that seemed very, very questionable, okay, that came forth. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you examples. The gospel according to Thomas. The gospel according to Matthew, but not the gospel we have. The gospel according to Bartholomew. The Acts of Thomas. The Acts of Andrew. The Acts of Paul. The Acts of Thecla or Thecla. These letters started forming. And so people started reading those, but yet they had the works from the, the apostles and the prophets. And so the church had to begin to say, no, that, that doesn't seem to match up with what God told Peter and Jesus told John and, and, and what Paul's getting. That. And so already the church began to differentiate right out the bat, out of the gate, about which one was right and which one wasn't. Which one was inspired of God and which one wasn't. As the church went on, there were three church fathers that really helped us to see where the church was going. The first one was Clement of Rome. He lived from 40 AD to 99 AD. So that's in that first century. He referred to 1 Corinthians, Matthew, John, Romans, Ephesians, James, and possibly 1 Timothy and Titus. So already those books were around, as we know, in the first century. Then you had a guy named Ignatius. He was the bishop of Antioch. Is possibly, tradition says he was a disciple of John. He lived from 35 AD to 107 AD. So he was born just a couple, three years after Jesus was crucified. A few years after Jesus was crucified, okay? He quoted from Matthew, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, and used phraseology from Luke, John, and a number of Paul's letters. Then you have a guy named Irenaeus. Now he lived from 130 AD to 202 AD. He was a bishop. This is so cool. So this is by the middle, by the middle to the end of the second century. He has cited most of the New Testament that we have today. Is that not cool or what? Those 27 books were already in place by them. He referred to them as scripture and called them the inverbally inspired uh, word of the Holy Spirit and absolutely true. And then here's a cool part. Then a list called the Muratorian Canon. And the canon, by the way, is a word that means standard. It's often used to the Bible. So you talk about the canon of scripture. That's not C-A-N-N-O-N. -N -N. So it's not like we got a scripture that can shoot you know, cannonballs. It's a different canon, 
Okay, C-A-N-O-N, and it means standard. So what I want you to understand is this Muraturian canon was composed about 170 A.D. That includes nearly all of our present New Testament books. Here's the point. By, uh, for all intents and purposes, the New Testament canon was fixed in the second century. Are you getting that? Okay, I'm going to just hold on to that thought because there's a reason why. Anybody ever watch the movie The Da Vinci Code with Tom Hanks? Okay, you're like me, you won't watch it. How many of you won't watch it? Okay, I won't watch it. I love Tom Hanks. But I wish Tom Hanks, I wish he'd have talked to me first and I said, Tom, don't do that movie. Just don't do that movie. But he didn't call me and, and, and I couldn't talk him out of it. But The Da Vinci Code was a movie based on a book written by a guy named Dan Brown. Dan Brown wrote this book and it stirred things up. Okay, so some of you who are younger, you may not remember this, but it affected our American society. It had America talking. And here's why. Because Dan Brown wrote things about Jesus in the Bible that just were not true. They were totally inaccurate. And so people started questioning and doubting whether or not the Bible was true and the things about Jesus were true. Here's a quote from Dan Brown. He argued that, and I quote, the Bible is a product of man, not God. He said that Emperor Constantine actually picked the books of the Bible of the New Testament himself at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD and that they picked writings that said Jesus uh, was God's son and that God was um, divine, that Jesus was divine, and they purposely omitted books that stressed that Jesus was a human Okay, we well, said, well, wasn't Jesus human? Yeah, but to the point that he was human and not divine. Because the Council of Nicaea was to, to combat a, 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 a theology that developed called Arianism. A guy named Arius was arguing, and it was called Gnosticism, that Jesus was not the Son of God, equal to God in essence, power, and glory, but that he was a creation of God, and so he was less than God. Now, that would have destroyed the Christian faith. So this council of leaders comes together and they came against this and denied it. But what Dan Brown was, he said that the reason that they denied it is because there was a conspiracy and that Constantine was trying to influence the church. And so the only reason we have the books that we had, the 27, is because they left out these other books, which are pseudo books, they're fake books, that, that could have, should have been in there. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit why they didn't make it. But what I'm telling you is this is not true. Constantine did not determine which books constituted the New Testament. The bishops and the teachers of the church did this at various councils uh, held actually in the fourth century. It was the Council of Hippo and the Council of Carthage. And so what I want you to know is that's how the church. Now, what I'm going to do this morning, we're going to put this on the screen. I'm going to show you the guidelines that the early church leaders used. We know this from their writings. These were the guidelines they used to determine what books went into the New Testament. Number one, the authors had to have walked and talked with Jesus or at least with his apostles. That's a pretty good one right there, isn't it? So let me give you an example. Take the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, Matthew and John were both disciples of Jesus, direct apostles, right? Mark and Luke were not, all right? But Mark was closely associated with Peter, very tight with Peter. So Mark's gospel came from Peter directly. So that's how we know that we can trust Mark's gospel because his, Luke as well got his information from Peter for the gospel. Then Luke wrote Acts and he was a traveling companion with Paul 
So we know where he got it. He not only got it from Paul, he actually traveled part of the time with Paul and was a personal testimony. So though Luke was a doctor and wasn't a direct apostle, they had direct connections in their writings with the, with the apostles, and that's how we know. By the way, Paul wrote nearly half of the New Testament, and Paul was an apostle after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, had visions of Jesus, was caught up to the third heavens where Jesus dwells multiple times and got revelation that nobody else got. Okay? So that's one. Two. Their teachings could not contradict what apostles had written. So if Peter wrote it, John wrote it, Matthew wrote it, then, then, you, then, then you had to just say, that's the foundation, everything else is compared to that. That's why these later documents didn't make it because they didn't, they didn't match up with what the apostles who received their revelation directly from Jesus, right? Third, or, yeah, their documents must have been accepted by the entire church. Now listen to me, this is so important because if you ever question the Bible, listen to me. By the time these councils met in the, in the late 300s, the early church had already pretty well decided that these 27 books were the inspired books that God had given to the church. From Jerusalem to Rome to Alexandria and Egypt, all over the world. You have to remember, y'all, they, they didn't have social media. They didn't all get down there in a conspiracy and type each other in, on the black web. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to conspire here. We're all going to write the same thing. We're going to create this book, and we're going to call it scriptures. You know, that didn't happen. They're not connected at all because back then there was no connection. God's hand was on this. And so they took the, and how many of you know the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writers and the same Holy Spirit that was leading the teachers and bishops of the church is the same Holy Spirit in the church? Okay, the Holy Spirit inside of you, when I meet with our elders and deacons and we talk about things we're gonna do or with my staff, I always meet in counsel with them and what I find out, if I, if I put something out, I really feel like the Lord's leading us, I, I start talking to them and I, I'll have them say, you know, well, Pastor, it's funny you brought that up. The Holy Spirit's been dealing with me about us. Well, we need to do that. In the early church, they said, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost. How many of you know the Holy Spirit will lead you? So what was happening was by the time they got to the council, the, the church had already figured it out what books were the books that God had inspired, the 27. Earlier documents were more credible than later documents. Dan Brown uses all these later documents that people wrote afterwards, and they decided they were going to write fake gospels and try to get it in on the 27 on the canon. Church said, nope, you're not going to do that. It's not inspired by God. Finally, the leaders prayed for Holy Spirit guidance. Y'all listen to me. When they got in those councils, first thing they did is they said, we got to pray. And they said, Holy Spirit, this is huge. We're talking about the inspired word of God. We're going to call these scriptures. We have got to have your divine leading. Please lead us. And how many of you know God led them in what they did? God had his hand upon them in everything they did. So what I want you to know is this morning, you can trust God's word. It is God's divine revelation to you. Now, why is this so important? Because there's this enemy called the devil. And if you go back to the garden, the very first thing he did with Eve, he said, did God indeed say blank? The devil will try to get you to question God's word. He tried to do that with Jesus. Do y'all know the devil knows the Bible better than you? In the garden, and not in the garden, but in the wilderness when he tempted Jesus, he actually, man, how arrogant. The devil quoted the word of God to the son of God. Now that's arrogant. I mean, you messed up. You got to be a devil to do that, right? And so he, he's, he knows the Bible better than you. And the devil will either try to get you to doubt God's word or the devil will distort God's word. 
Every time. That's why you got to know the word of God. But let me tell you something this morning. Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And Paul said that because the word of God is reliable in our text this morning, it's profitable, it's useful for four things, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I'm gonna close with this, doctrine. Y'all, there are so many false doctrines that keep popping up at times. How do you know what to believe, what not to believe? It's because you have the word of God. There is a young couple sitting in here today, I think, that talked to me recently, and the wife said, I was in a certain scenario, doesn't matter what it was, and she said, I heard, I learned all this stuff, and it's just out in left field that, you know, that I don't believe, and we don't believe, but I was listening to it, and she went home and talked to her husband. I love this man. Her husband immediately said, that's false doctrine. Man, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the leaders. All the men said, Dan, that's why you got to read the Bible and know the Bible. So if the devil tries to bring false doctrine, your kids come home from school or come home from college and they've learned something that's against the word of God, you would be able to say, honey, sit down. We're going to talk about this. Now, I know what your professor said, but with all due respect, she's a blooming idiot or he's, a, he's an idiot. This is what thus, go ahead and call me. This is what thus says the Lord. Okay, now you want to listen to your idiot professor or do you want to listen to God? Because your professor going to determine whether you go to heaven or hell? Okay, they just, you're just paying them money to teach you pablum. But God is your creator and your father. You, y'all with me? And so this is how you know between the difference between false doctrine and real doctrine. Second one is reproof. It's, it's, it's testing something to determine if it's true or not. It's the source for moral convictions. Listen to me. Everybody in this room ought to have convictions. You ought to have moral convictions. You have a moral standard. But where does that come from? You can't get it from Oprah. You can't get it from the media. Don't dare get it from Hollywood. You can't get it from your teachers or, or, or your professors. You have to get it from one source and one source alone. That's the word of God. And you have to be so convinced of it that when everybody else is doing the wrong thing and you stand and say, but I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I think it's wrong. Get ready because you're going to get laughed at, picked on. They're going to call you names. They might not hang out with you anymore. But what kind of, like my daddy, my daddy's here this morning. I'm going to borrow my daddy's line. My daddy said, you call that a friend. What kind of friend will drag you to hell? Pop, I listen. See when you preach. Come on. What kind of friend would drag you to hell, high schoolers? That's not a friend. And when they make fun of you, you have stance say, that's okay, make fun of me all you want, but I know what's true. Because y'all the idiots. Y'all the ones that don't know better. I'm gonna have to help y'all. See. Third, correction. That word in the Greek means to straighten something up. So you know how many of y'all mess up sometimes? How many of y'all don't do what's right? How many of y'all disobey? How many of y'all get complacent sometimes? Huh? Spiritually complacent. Go ahead and admit it, you do. You know what the Bible does? The Bible will light a fire in you. The Bible will straighten you out. That's why when you come to church and I, I'm stepping all over your toes, I'm not, I'm not stepping on anybody else's toes. Your problem is your toes are crooked. Step them back in place, right? Because you've been sinning. You got your toes out of whack, right? We ain't going to call a tow truck. We're going to call the word. That's a bad joke, wasn't it? But it was so dumb, y'all laughing. And for instruction in righteousness, that's spiritual transformation, okay? That's, that's, that's your character. Like when I raise my boys, I, I discipline them. Brush your teeth. Brush your teeth before you go to bed. Brush your teeth when you get up in the morning. It smells terrible. Smell like a trash can. Brush your teeth. Drink your milk. Eat your vegetables. Stop pushing around a plate just because you spread them all out. I know you hadn't eaten them. Eat your vegetables. Eat your peas, right? Do your homework. All things, these are disciplines. We train our children. We teach them. How many of you know we have to have disciplines in our lives? 
We have to say, God, work on me, change me, transform me. And as you listen, as you read the Bible, God will transform you. It is more than a book. It is God speaking into your life. And if you will work with him, he will transform you and change you. And you will decrease and he will increase. And you become more and more like Jesus Christ. Stand with me. Y'all, it's 12.09. And this is why we have got to move our service to 11 o'clock. I am fighting the clock trying to preach to you today. And if I had time, I'd get you in the altar. But we're out of time. But we'll fix that next week. So I'm going to steal two more minutes and hope the children's department doesn't hate me. Hope your children are all well-behaved today. My boys like to go to Ocean Lakes. Anybody ever been to Ocean Lakes? I've spent more money at Ocean Lakes. Good Lord. 5,000 people crammed into a sardine can. That's what they've done there. We would go to Ocean Lakes. Well, we went one time. I think it was a week of the July 4th. Why we did that, I don't know, because I was an idiot. And we went the week of July 4th. And I remember the beach was slammed. There was no place to put your blankets in your little, you know, umbrella. And, and we're walking, and we found one. That's people behind you, beside you, in front of you. You just imagine. So where did it? Well, the Da Vinci Code had come out, and so everybody was talking. I'm telling you, it really affected society. Everybody was talking. Everybody was kind of big deal. And I just, I did a series that year called Debunking, Debunking the Da Vinci Code. And so I'm laying on the beach. We're laying on the beach. The boys are playing in the wake, you know, the surf. Lee and I laying there. And people are all around. You can't help it. Two women behind me, they start talking. You watched the Da Vinci Code? You read that book? I must have watched the movie. I, I don't know. I don't, I've watched that. It's got me questioned now. I don't understand. I don't know. I used to believe the Bible. I don't know if the Bible's true anymore. I don't even know if God's 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 son of God. I don't know. How do you even know all this? How do you know somebody just didn't make all that up? I don't understand this. This woman's just asking these questions left and right. And I'm sitting there having to listen to it. And I kind of looked over Leah and she had that look like, would you please don't do it? We're on vacation. And I looked at her and I said, I can't do it. And I turned around and I looked at her and she's just talking. She doesn't know me from Adam's cat. I said, well, do you want to know? Her eyes got that big, and she looked at me. She bowed up. She said, excuse me. I said, do you want to know? You've been back in here asking 40 questions about the Bible. I said, would you like some answers? She said, do you have? I said, I got answers. Would you like some answers? She said, yes. And for five minutes, I preached to her, and I told her all this stuff I just told you and how the Bible's reliable and this and this and the process they went through, all that stuff she's questioned. And when she got to she said, well, thank you, sir. That really helps me. I said, you're welcome. I turned back around. I went back to vacationing. And Leah's over there going, thank you, Jesus. We didn't get ejected from the beach. The reason I tell you that story is you see how easy it is for your faith to get shaken if you don't know what you believe. And I had a college professor, and one of my favorites, Dr. George Voris. And when Dr. Voris would preach, that man was a preaching machine. He still is. He's a preaching machine. Ain't that, this guy can preach his way out of a paper bag, and he can manufacture paper bags. This man is like... He's up on the hill, you know, like he's a, and he was preaching in a big way. And when he ever got preaching in a big way and his face would start to go like this, he would say, I want you to know this morning, I am fully persuaded. And his head would get to shaking like this. And all of us college students say, yep, that's what we want to be. We want to be fully persuaded. Don't you want to be fully persuaded? You can be. You can trust God's word. Throw your hands up before we leave this house and say, God, help me to never doubt Help me to always trust it. Help me to read it. Help me to study it. God, help me to live it. Come on, will you pray all over this church?
Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.